Good morning. This is Pastor Brent from Rochester Hills Baptist Church. You enjoy listening to Truth For Today, but today I'd like to introduce you to another ministry, Rochester Hills Christian School. RHCS is a K-12 private Christian school that features a full daycare. We minister to the students of today to help them to face the challenges of tomorrow. RHCS has strong biblical values, high academic standards, an exciting sports program for boys and girls, wonderful extracurricular activities, and excellent facilities that feature a full science lab, computer lab, art studio, and robotics lab. Call us today at 248-852-0585, extension 200, or visit our website, rhcschool.org. Good morning. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Truth For Today, ministry of Rochester Hills Baptist Church. Whether you're driving or listening at home or work, we hope that today's Bible message will challenge your heart and encourage your soul. Please visit us on our website at rhbchurch.com and be our special guest at one of our services at 3300 South Livernois Road in Rochester Hills. And now today's message from our pastor, Al Hightower. Open your Bibles this evening to the book of the Judges, Judges chapter number 11. Been a great day today, amen. In Judges chapter 11, you recall that back in chapter 10, because of their wickedness, because of their idolatry, when they cried out to the Lord, God said, I'm not listening. He said, you wanted to worship Baal? Let's see what Baal can do for you. You thought that you might want to worship uh, uh, Ashtaroth or the gods of the Moabites? Go ahead and pray to them. I I'm done. I'm finished. And so the people decided we need to get right with God. We don't know if He'll answer our prayers. We don't know if He'll help us. We don't know if He'll reward us. But we need to get right with God. We've done wrong. And they did get right with God. And they did begin to serve God. And they did begin to live for God. And the Bible tells us that because of what they did, God was grieved because of their affliction. We come to chapter 11, and we see a man named Gilead who has several sons, and one of them named Jephthah, born under unfortunate circumstances, is cast out by his other brothers. But he doesn't seek revenge, he doesn't try to justify himself, he just goes on doing right as he knows to do right. And in the process of time, his brothers come to him and say, man, we need your help. The Ammonites are oppressing us. We're, we're, we're in trouble and you have those leadership qualities. You have those skills. Would you please lead us? And Jephthah says, uh, good to see you guys too. How y'all been? He said, let's get this straight. You want me to be your leader? to go to battle against the Ammonites? And they said, that's exactly right. Would you do it, please? And he said, one condition. If, when the battle's over, you will still allow me to be leader. As long as we're victorious, if I'm the leader in battle, I want to be the leader not in battle. I said, hey, whatever it takes. And so Jephthah becomes the leader. I want you to... I want you to notice that in this particular case, not that God didn't choose him, but there's no indication that God did choose him. 
He's chosen by his brothers. But the time called for a leader, and Jephthah is a leader. And so he immediately contacts the king of Ammon, and he says, uh, you guys are in our country, what's the deal? And the king of, the, of Ammon says, it's not your country, this is our country. You guys were back in Egypt when our fathers and grandfathers were here. This is our country. Well, you're invaders. What are you doing here? And Jephthah writes back and he says, uh, no, actually God gave this land to Abraham. And this land which was Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's was promised to us by God and uh, the Lord just kind of let you guys hang out here for 400 years, but now it's time to leave. By the way, they're still fighting over that land that God promised. And of course, the king of Ammon said, we're not going to leave, and Jephthah says, we'll see. And so, they get ready to go to battle. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with me. And we'll begin reading in verse number 29 of Judges chapter 11. The Bible says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that Whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching tonight. I pray it'd be helpful. I pray that you would uh, give us some things that we can apply to our life as we live for you this next week. God, we thank you for your word that it's infallible. Thank you that we can believe everything that's written. Thank you that it's authoritative. And so, Lord, help me tonight as I preach it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. It's time to go to battle. And Jephthah makes a promise to God. You ever made a promise to God? You ever maybe promise to stop? being so mean to your brothers or sisters? Did you ever promise God as soon as we get on our feet we're going to get back faithful to church? Did you ever promise, Lord, as soon as we get this financial hurdle we're going to start tithing? Did you ever sit in a message and the Holy Spirit of God said this is for you and you came to the altar and you made a promise? I think most of us have. Well, Jephthah made a promise. And he said, okay, Lord, here, here's the situation. If, when we go to battle, if, if you'll protect me and, and, and allow me to come back home safely, there's a condition on the promise. He doesn't just say, God, I'll, I'll do this. He says, God... If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. By the way, that's always a bad way to make promises to God. It just doesn't seem intellectually honest to try to play let's make a deal with God. 
Lord, if you do this for me, I'll give you this. Well, think about it. It's God's anyway. Whatever it is you're promising the Lord you'll do, uh, you probably ought to already be doing. But he says, God, when, if you'll give me victory, when, when I come home, whatever comes out the doors of my house, whatever, whatever, anything, anybody, the, the first thing or person that comes out the doors of my house, I'll offer that to you for a burnt offering. That's a pretty goofy promise. I, I understand his, his heart. Here's a guy who, uh, he, he didn't grow up going to the tabernacle. He didn't grow up uh, uh, worshiping with the family at feast days. Uh, this is a guy who was ostracized by his brother, who grew up in the wilderness but still has a heart for the things of God. We would, we would say that in this situation, he had zeal without knowledge. You know, some people, uh, when they just get saved, they're on fire for God and they want to do something, they just don't know what to do. I remember a guy who... Uh, when I was an assistant pastor in Saginaw. He had gotten saved on the bus route, been saved maybe two weeks, and he came to me uh, after a couple of weeks. He goes, hey, hey, do you think, do you think maybe I could, I could preach in Awana? I said, you've been saved two weeks. He goes, I know, I know why, but, but I used to be a kid. I think I could help these kids. Well, he had a great heart. He had great zeal, but... There's no way you're going to let somebody who's just been saved for two weeks preach. It's just, just, there's a growth process. There's a maturation process. And so Jephthah has all this zeal. He's now the leader of the people of God. They're going to battle. There's a great possibility that they can perish in the battle. He makes a promise to God. I, I don't think that his motives are wrong. I, I think he's just a guy who's got zeal without knowledge. He, he wants to do something. And by the way, I would, I would rather have a whole church full of people who want to do something for God than folks who don't want to do anything for God. You may not know exactly what God wants you to do and you may not have everything figured out, but if there's a passion, if there's a desire, if there's a burden, God, I want my life to count. I want you to use me in some way. I would take that over the people that say, I don't want to get involved. Let somebody else do it. And so uh, I'm, I'm not trying to make Jephthah sound like a bad guy. I just, I just don't think he has enough knowledge to make the choices that he's starting to make. He says, God, whoever it is, I'm going to offer that person for a burnt offering. What's he thinking? He didn't say the first possession that I see when I pull onto my property. He said the, the first one who comes out the doors of my house. Now, unless he had a dog... Don't think he'd have a cat. Jephthah doesn't seem like a cat guy to me. I just can't see Jephthah 
having Tabby on his lap as she purrs. It's not going to happen. He's got a bulldog. Or, 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 or a mongrel with a floppy ear. That's the kind of dog Jeff... Now, if he has a dog, he probably wouldn't let the dog in the house. And so he, he's pretty certain that a person is coming out the door. And the Bible doesn't tell us that his mother-in-law lived with him. There's, there's no way to know that. But what he's saying, <laughs> I'm just teasing. What he's saying is, God, whoever it is, whoever it is, I will offer that person as a burnt offering. Wow. I wonder if maybe he's just presuming upon the grace and the goodness of God, thinking, you know, Abraham was willing to give his loved one, and God stopped him, maybe God will stop me. I don't know what's going through his mind. I do know that he made the promise. He made a deal. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. God, if you bless me, then I'll try to be good in return. All of our promises to God, first of all, they ought to be unconditional. Lord, you've done so much for me, I want to be faithful. God, you've blessed me so, abundant, so abundantly, I want to be a better Christian. God, uh, my, my family, my co-workers, the, the folks that I go to school with, they need a testimony. God, I want to be a better Christian. But Jephthah made a deal with God. And, and in fact, his deal was an ill-founded deal. It was, a, it was a, a, a foolish choice. He's trying to bribe God to get some blessings. He, he's trying to uh, make himself more, more, more spiritual probably than, than he ought to try to make himself. But, but he makes a deal. And he comes home. Let's read the scriptures if your Bible is still open. Verse number 34. They've already been victorious and Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes. And said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. She said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountains and, be and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. 
And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. She went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. Came to pass at the end of two months. that She returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Now if you read the commentaries or listen to different preachers, you'll find there are those who believe that he actually sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering and others who believe that he kind of cloistered her like a nun and wouldn't allow her to get married for the rest of her life. And, and, and they're good people on either side. Uh, my, my personal opinion, and this doesn't mean that I'm right, although I'm very seldom wrong, I think that he promised God that he would offer his daughter as a burnt offering. I believe he did it. Now, if you believe another way, that doesn't matter because that's not the the crux of our message tonight. Uh, He did promise to sacrifice his daughter. And we all wonder, how, how could a person make a promise to God to offer a loved one in sacrifice? And yet... There are many, many, many of God's people who sacrifice their children, not as burnt offerings, but they sacrifice their children on altars that are every bit as deadly as the altar on which Jephthah's daughter was sacrificed. Many parents sacrifice their children on secular altars. I'm talking about things that are not sinful, not wicked, not ungodly. But somehow along the way, and I'm talking Christians, we can't explain the world and have no uh, responsibility for the world. I'm talking about God's people who, who know that God ought to have first place in our life. Who understand that children are an heritage of the Lord. And those children that God has given to you, they don't belong to you. They belong to God. But God entrusted you with those children for the specific purpose of raising them for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for that purpose alone. And yet how many parents have dreams and aspirations of their children becoming some great sports star. Well, actually, very few parents think that their children are going to make it to the NBA or to the major leagues or to the NFL or the NHL. Most parents realize that's that's probably not going to happen. And yet... A multitude of Christian parents get so wound up in sports that the altar of sports becomes the place of sacrifice for their children. Sports takes the place of church. And in case you just started visiting Rochester Hills Baptist Church, 
I often preach the church is more important than sports. There never has been a ball game, and I like sports. But there never has been a sport that's more important than the house of God. We're coming up on the summertime. We'll have soccer leagues and baseball leagues and who knows, volleyball leagues and and a million other things. It'll be a perfect excuse not to go to church. And parents will say brilliant things like, well, it's just Wednesday night. Well, we go to church, we need a break. Sometimes it's not the altar of secular, uh, I mean the altar of sports. Sometimes it's just the altar of needing a break. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we work hard all year. And don't, don't misunderstand, if you are entitled to a vacation, you ought to take a vacation. I think vacations are good and vacations are important. But what troubles me is that so many folks will work five days a week and then take Saturday and Sunday to shoot up north. Well, you don't understand, brother. We we go to church up north. You don't go to your church. And if you take your children, my guess is you don't go Sunday morning and Sunday night. You probably miss Sunday school. Wow, I didn't think you'd do this on Easter. Hey, it's where the chapter fell. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do you understand that we only get a few years to raise our children? Typically, they'll leave home around 18 years of age. Some stick around longer and some leave earlier, but 18 years, that's not a very long time in the lifespan of a human being. And you get 52 Sundays each year. And there are Sundays that you're sick, and there are Sundays that you're on vacation. And so average, I would guess you get 47, 48 Sundays a year to influence your children for the glory of God. But if you take every once a month and take those Sundays away, maybe I'm missing the boat, but to me it just seems presumptuous to believe that your kids are going to be all right not doing what God said to do. It seems to me like we're sacrificing our children on secular altars. I think everything about our life ought to be Christian. I'm not talking about becoming a, a monk or a nun, living on a mountain, seeking the eternal meaning of life. I'm talking about living your life for God. I'm talking about raising your children for God. By the way, that's why I'm a huge proponent of Christian school. Are there good kids in public school? Absolutely. Are there parents who would love to have their children in Christian school who aren't able to to afford that? There are. I get that. Are Are there children in Christian school 
who are worse testimonies than some who go to public school? Obviously. But I think your kids need the best chance they can get. And so the best chance is Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Christian school, youth activities, anything going on that can be a help to your children. We're sacrificing our children on secular altars. Some sacrificing their children on satanic altars. What are you talking about? Let me give you a verse so you don't think I'm way out of bounds. 1 Peter chapter 6 says, The love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. I think that you could say that for a person to have money as his goal or money as her goal, if that's a priority in life and they love that pursuit of money, it's the root of all evil. I think that could probably be construed as satanic. And yet how many parents strive to make sure that their children have it better than they did? How many of them uh, make sure that, that all of the latest toys and all of the latest gadgets and all of the latest e- electronics, their children have opportunity. They, they have to have this and this and this. And I'm not against things. I'm against things taking the place of God. You see, we are all going to sacrifice our children. Secular altars, satanic altars, or spiritual altars. Last Sunday, when Eric and Rita Hill came to the platform with little Micah, they were dedicating their child to God. A few months ago, when Craig and Kristen came to the platform with Whatever his name is. What's his name? That's right. I was going to say that, but I thought that's not right. They were dedicating their child to God. And, and, and I'm all for that because it, it, it's mindful that here is a parent in the formative stages of a child, so young that he or she has to take, has to have complete and total care by the parent. They're saying, God, we need your help raising this child. Thank you for tuning in today for Truth For Today, the ministry of Rochester Hills Baptist Church. If you would like this message in its entirety, please visit us at rhbchurch.com or phone us at 248-852-0585. Please join us again next week for Truth For Today.